Bob. You're listening to season one, episode eight, the season finale of That's Not My Job, the podcast where Jared Dubin, myself, and Jordan White talk to interesting people about subjects they're interested in that are not their day jobs. On this episode recorded in January 2018, we talked to baseball writer and New York Times bestselling author Jonah Carey about The Simpsons. Jordan, this was so much fun. And, you know, I, I only wish that the actual podcast that we recorded eighth in the series had survived our terrible audio issues and we would have been able to compare and contrast talking to Jonah about The Simpsons with what we talked to Sirat Sohi about. But we'll get back to that later on. But I had a lot of fun just geeking out with Jonah about The Simpsons, not just as a show, but as, you know, cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I, I love talking about the impact the show has had. You know, we didn't get into best character, worst character, uh, best storyline, worst storyline. It was more just like the over the overarching ethos of The Simpsons. Um, you know, the impact that it's had, how it's been felt throughout the years, how it, uh, Jonah put it, you know, it, it might have invented comedic irony. Um, right. Just all these things and how you can see its presence in so many shows today and, you know, and the world building that was unique at the time uh yeah it's just a a great chat yeah i would say we we wound up talking more about or sorry less about the show the simpsons than we did the idea of the simpsons yeah yeah um and you know like you mentioned the the impact that it's had uh, on popular culture as well as on so many comedy shows over the years you know not only due to you know how hilarious it's been for so long and how long it's been on the air but also because of all of the talented people that came out of you know the writing staff or for uh the the voice actors as well yeah and i also think it was interesting talking about how you know jonah specifically but then using him as a lens for a general population how people's viewing habits have changed over the years and you know how you know People now still say like, oh, like, you know, The Simpsons isn't what it used to be, but isn't what it used to be is still a very good show. Uh, and I think that's like, like we still we like like me, especially I don't keep I don't really keep that in mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I thought potentially the idea that The Simpsons might be a show for a certain time in your life, you know, because we discovered through talking that the three of us all started watching it around the same age and stopped watching it consistently around the same age. And it's entirely possible that that's just what happens for everybody. And the fact that it's been on for so long makes it seem like, you know, maybe it's not as influential or as good as it used to be, even if that does seem to be the general consensus. But without further ado, the season finale of That's Not My Job, talking to Jonah Carey about The Simpsons. Enjoy. Jared, we've got uh, Jonah joining us today. Jonah, how you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. We're doing all right. This is going to be fun. This is going to be really fun. I'm psyched. Um, so, Jonah, we want to talk to you about The Simpsons, which we know that you love dearly. Um, and it's such a, it's an interesting show because since it's been going on for so long, so many people can get into it at like different times and like I guess like different versions of The Simpsons. So uh, like my first question for you is, when did you first get into The Simpsons? Yeah, from the get-go, I am old, so that helps. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, and the perfect age, well, you know, th- there's some debate about, I guess, what the perfect age is with pop culture, uh, or sports, for that matter. I've heard lots of arguments about 12 is like when you kind of shape a lot of your opinions. Maybe if it's a little bit more sophisticated, which I would argue The Simpsons are, 
then, you know, being a teenager is about right. And The Simpsons came on the air in, what, 89 or 90? So I was born in 74. There you go. You know, I mean, that, that's pretty perfect. And when this show really caught fire, 91, 92, 93, at that point, I'm like, you know, late high school on into college is when you get your edge, right? When you start to figure out your identity and, you know, oh, these subtle jokes, I totally get them. Maybe not the references to, like, whatever. When I was 16, I wasn't necessarily getting all the Catherine Hepburn references or whatever it was, because they would obviously go pretty deep. But, uh, you know, that's of course, that's the beauty of rewatching, too, is that whatever age you come into the show, and you guys are younger than I am, maybe you picked it up and you were kids, and you can go back and be like, oh, I totally get that whole montage, which was exactly Clockwork Orange, which I did not watch when I was eight years old, because my parents were not monsters, that kind of thing. So, uh, very much, uh, you know, a formative thing for me. And, uh, and remain so, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those crazies who, if it comes on, I'll just drop everything and, and whatever. And, and it's very much like a radio station in some way. I don't know, maybe because I'm, I'm a little older and born in that legacy era, but I can go to Simpsons world and watch anything I want to anytime, just like we can do that with music, with Spotify or whatever. And yet I get this weird thrill out of whatever I'm at a buddy's house or, or whatever it is. It's like, Oh you know, the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode just came out. Oh, well, I'm not doing anything right now. Again, it's so stupid because I watch anytime I want to, uh, but I still feel that way. I still get that excited. It's it's interesting. I got into the show, like you, like you mentioned, we're both a little bit younger than you, but I still got into the show like around the same time, you know, when I was okay. 11, 12 years old. And then I would say I watched it every day, multiple times a day until I went to college and then my freshman year, one of my friends had all of the old seasons on DVD and we used to just watch them like for hours and hours and hours in a row, like between classes and whatnot. And then I don't know, I just sort of stopped watching it every day after that. And I think like in the last, like it's been 11 years since I was a freshman in college. Like I can't even tell you how many times I've watched it since then. And it's strange because it was something that I loved so much and was such a big part of my life for you know, I guess whatever it is, like nine years. And I still like love it and remember all of those episodes up until then fondly. I could, you know, go through all of the old episodes, like in my mind, playing the the beats over and over and over again. And I'm curious if you've kept the same, re- I mean, you mentioned that you'll still watch it, um, you know, on occasion. Do you still watch it like all the time? No, and I don't think it's one of those where like, oh, I outgrew this thing. The show just didn't, became not as good. I mean, that, that's all. And that's a universal uh, sentiment, you know, even the diehards from season, whatever, some people say one through eight, one through 10, one through 12. I would say like through 12 or 13, I was pretty diehard. And then it just wasn't as good. That's all. And, and there are still good episodes. And I, uh, my buddy, John, one of my closest friends, uh, I've been friends with since we were kids. Uh, you know, okay. We, we, we would always watch the Simpsons together. Always, always, always. And, um, he will, you know, text, call me, whatever, what's up. And I'll say, did you watch The Simpsons this week? And I'll say, no. And, he, and he'll say, he'll chastise me. I'll say, what are you doing? It's still good in season, whatever, at 29 or whatever. You should watch it. Why did you give up on it? And uh, I don't have a good reason. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, I have tuned in occasionally in the more, more recent seasons. There are good episodes, but the other ones are transcendent. I mean, you know, like when the Germans buy the power plant, like I've watched that episode at least 200 times. Sorry, you know, so many times. And the thing about when you watch... Here's what's interesting about The Simpsons, I think. And there are a lot of interesting things, but one thing that's interesting is when people become obsessed with a show and binge watch it and then I'll watch it over and over and over and over, uh, how can I say this delicately? Oftentimes there's substances it's like, all right, let's go smoke up for the weekend and then we're going to totally bang out the whatever it is, MST 3000 <laughs> or whatever, which is great. That's great. I live in Colorado. God bless. All good. But I don't, I've never needed that for The Simpsons. I just like, I, I, like, I can, and you, you could do it in multiple ways. Like you could have 
10 friends over if you wanted to and do it like, like a Super Bowl party. You could watch it by yourself. You could watch it with your partner. You could watch it with your friends. You could watch it any way you want to. You could watch it with a bowl of ice cream. You could watch it with a joint if you want to. It's anything you want. Uh, and that really resonates. So, again, a long answer, but, you know, basically I haven't watched it that much in the more recent seasons. It's more like I am feeling season six right now, and I've got a bowl of ice cream. I'm going to sit down and bang out four or five <laughs> So I know there's this universal sentiment that, that it's not as good now. And not even sentiment, like I guess like you could say truth. Yeah. But why, so then why, ha- why do you think the show has still managed to survive then even after it like hit its, hit its peak? Um, because, you know, it's not, I mean, not even like survive, like surviving could say, oh, it went on for another two or three seasons before then, you know, everyone caught up to it. But it's still going on now. Like, what, what has made it survive still so well, even after it's changed so much and arguably become worse? Uh, a couple things. Number one, it's, in my opinion, the best comedy ever made. Ever made. And so, what are we talking? We're down to, what, the 11th best comedy now? It's still very good. I mean, <laughs> it's it's the standards. You set the standard, and, and that's the way it is. You know, if, like, if the San Antonio Spurs don't win the title this year, but they win 57 games or something like that, oh, they're still the San Antonio Spurs. They're still a lot of fun to watch. Kawhi would have quite been injured. But you know what I mean? Like, you can, you still enjoy the product. It's just not quite as good as when the San Antonio Spurs were winning 66 and blowing everybody away. So I, I kind of look at it that way. And I think the other thing is just a, a math and demographics issue where – you still can loop in people who've been on board in one form or another since the late eighties or early nineties. And you've got younger generations, you've got kids, you know, like whose parents were watching and those kids are now 10 or 11 and they can sit down and watch and be like, Hey, it's Bart, it's Homer, whatever. So I think it's just one of those things. And the Simpsons, it's like the Rolling Stones, right? I mean, my first concert I ever went to was the Rolling Stones in like, actually also in 1989. Maybe that was a formative year for me. <laughs> and my mom took me. And my mom liked the Rolling Stones in the 60s. And I think we're, you know, if you could get past a certain threshold in pop culture, then you're the Rolling Stones. Then you just kind of live forever. And, and the Simpsons will go off the air eventually, but we're now at that point where it's multi-generational. You forget the Rolling Stones. Let's even use the Beastie Boys as an example. May, may, uh, may, uh, uh, with Mike rest in peace, but, uh, or sorry, Adam rest in peace. But, um, yeah, you know, Beastie Boys came on in the mid 80s and, uh, you know, I've seen them in concert, and, and you could see multiple generations. I saw Guns N' Roses when they did their kind of uh, whatever reunion thing last year or two years ago. I think it was last year. And yeah, you know, you had 18-year-old kids who were like, this is great, and you sometimes they're with their parents, or their parents just went by themselves, or whatever. You just, if you have quality, if you're an all-timer, then you're just going to build numbers by virtue of having the older folks and the younger folks. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, um, the multi-generational aspect, because I feel like there's something to the idea that it may be just a show for a certain age group. Like obviously, you know, it's still wildly popular with I'm sure all age groups, but the idea of, you know, we got into it, even though we were doing it, you know, 10, 15 years apart, got into it at the same age and sort of stopped watching regularly at around the same age. And I wonder if it's just the same now. And just like, we're out of the demographic that would be the people that watch it, every week and watch the reruns every day when they're on. And now it's just the kids who are, you know, between 12 and 22 now that are just those people that are into it like that. Yeah, it could be. I mean, there's something about consumption in general. That's sort of interesting. The oft cited study about music is that when you reach age 33, your Jones to pick up new stuff starts to really go down. And there could be any number of reasons. I reached that uh, at like 22. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. You know, that, that's, it, it could be anything. But cognitively, I think we start to close our minds a little bit and we have to fight it. You know, you can sort of tell when it's coming on and that can manifest itself in any, anywhere from like really nasty biases against human beings to just, oh, this music, I don't care for it, or this TV show, or whatever it is. Um, so that, that can definitely be a factor. But I think also life changes, right? You know, you have kids and you have 30 jobs and whatever it is, you just run out of time to sit and I'm just going to screw around and watch Simpsons all the time. You know, what do we have in college if not time? We have lots of time in college. <laughs> uh, you know, so you do what you will with the time. Um, but I would submit to you, you know, even granted that I'm whatever, busy and overwhelmed like every other middle-aged man, but you, I think that if The Simpsons came on now and the quality was what it was in three, four, five, six, I can't say that I would sit and rewatch and watch and watch, but I would watch it more than I So I, I think both of those things can be true at the same time. There's certainly peak consumption ages for everything to do with culture. That's one. But I think, too, the show also isn't as good. I, I think both of those things apply in this case. I wonder if, you know, just because, you know, like you mentioned about consumption habits, like obviously TV ratings are not nearly as high now as they were in, you know, the, the 90s or whatever. I wonder how much of a cultural phenomenon the show would become if, like you mentioned, the, the quality was what it was in season, you know, two, three, four, five, up to, you know, whatever it is, 12, 13, whatever. Um, if it came out now and over the next couple of years reached that point, I wonder how much of a cultural phenomenon it would be. Like, would it still reach the same level and last 25, 30 years? Or would it be like this thing that lasted six, seven seasons and then went away? I think it would be somewhere in between, but I don't think it would reach a cultural phenomenon level for the simple reason that we have so many choices. Mm -hmm. What are the transcendent shows that everybody positively absolutely has to watch every week? I will name all of them in alphabetical order. Game of Thrones, the end. That's it. (laughs) There is no other show. There is no other show. You know, transcendent is a good show. And so is the Americans. And so is, I guess a lot of people watch modern family, whatever it is. The numbers are dwarfed by the previous era for the simple reason that, you know, in 1990, you could watch CBS, NBC, ABC, or Fox, and if your parents were rich, maybe you could pick up, I don't know, some Swedish station. That was about it. So, you know, it's just the preponderance of choices now. Game of Thrones is a wonderful show, and, you know, that's fine, but it's just, you can't pick up that traction. It could still have absolute, massive diehards who live and die by the show, but it wouldn't reach that universality. There's just too many choices. I think also one thing as well, I think it would be popular today, one of the things that it wouldn't have, and this is kind of our statement, it wouldn't have the influence. Like so many yeah. shows, uh, animated or live action, have just like have obvious influence, are obviously influenced by The Simpsons, and it, so it would not have that cultural cachet that it has now as well. Yeah, it's such a funny parallel universe to try to imagine The Simpsons coming on now because, like every show, I mean South Park. The meta joke on South Park is, and they'll say it on the show is Simpsons did it. Like it's already happened. It's, you know, <laughs> Uh, and South Park is a great show too or it has been a great show you know for many years and uh, it's you know it was the best and the brightest the writers on that show like Conan was one of the seminal writers and Conan is a comic genius who's been you know involved in high profile comedy in one form or another since for I don't know 25-30 years or whatever these people are now the legends you know they're going to be the Rickleses and the Hopes and, and all that of, of the uh, of this generation and and, uh, and that's where we are they, they just they went for it they said okay let's get and they're, and they're also very nerdy, by the way. There's a lot of Harvard kids and stuff, and that lends it, you know, Harvard Lampoon in particular uh, lends itself to that. Uh, but, you know, smart is smart, and smart will play, and, and that's what you get. And, and again, I, I go back to what I said before. I appreciate that level. Like, you know, there, it's a lot of fun 
when Sideshow Bob steps on a rake and then steps on another rake and then steps on another rake. Like, that's, nothing beats that. That's the funniest physical comedy is obviously the best. But it'll also challenge you. You know, I'll really have to go back and I, I do, you know, I think I have consumed a fair bit of stuff and the old movies and the old references or whatever. There's still stuff that I can go back now and there's a season nine episode that I randomly turn, I'll be like, wait, what are they talking about? Oh, yeah, all about Eve. You know, like, and I haven't watched all about Eve so far this month. You know, it's, it's one of those you really have to uh, to get on it and it, it works on... As Homo would say, it works on so many levels. So uh, you, you you kind of figure out uh, where you want to go with it, but it, it's just it has been such a smart show, and I think that's why it's so influential. If it was just um, silly comedy, that could definitely play. Like you know, Family Guy is a very successful show too. It's not as intellectual, but it's far. It can be funny because it's just it's silly, silly plays. But if you have silly and smart and can blend it somehow, then that's always success. I think also like the idea of influence on the last 25 30 years of comedy shows is also like the idea of just world building within a comedy like this like a lot of comedies back when it first came on like if it was a family comedy it was just about like that family and maybe like a couple of side characters the simpsons had this whole extended universe hundreds of and hundreds of side characters within that universe and now like you look at comedy since then like you mentioned south park it had this whole extended world of you yeah. know people around the the kids that the show is about they all have their families and even something going to something that's not animated like parks and recreation had like this huge cast of characters in addition to the people that worked in the parks department that's like you know the biggest extended universe since the simpsons and now it's like every kind of show sort of eventually tries to build that out for the most part. I feel like that's one of the longest lasting things that is influenced in the world of TV comedy. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, and you get to you those extended characters really become beloved in their own right. And, you know, it plays off of the main characters and you find a way to make that work. But of course it has to be anchored by the main characters. I mean, you know, you'll get spinoffs of shows or whatever, like happy days was a spinoff and happy days is one of the most successful shows of all time because they managed to weave in one or two really interesting characters in Laverne and Shirley and it played and that was the end of that. So yeah, you know, I, I think that's very relevant. And again, it goes to the quality of the writers. I mean, if, if they're writing a brilliant show in Laverne and Shirley or Homer and Marge or, or whoever are great, then why wouldn't, you know, Kent Brockman be great too. I mean, there's no reason not to. And if anything, I think you can be, you know, that's sort of a, a, a play plays both sides here because on the one hand, you don't know the inner world of Kent Brockman quite that well, but on the other hand, you don't necessarily have to set it up that way. You can play these one or two or three note characters and Kent Brockman is just this kind of, you know, overbearing traditional anchor, a little bit full of himself or whatever. And we all know that archetype and so it goes and it plays and it's just an automatic. So, you know, you can pick up the show on many levels like, Lisa has inner turmoil, you know, she's, she's a troubled character and, and we relate to her and all that stuff. And we've got years of, of exposition on her and it can be funny when she does stuff too, but you can also just play it as again, the silly stuff, the stepping on a rake, you know, we don't need to know everything about Ken Brockman to appreciate him. So, so yeah, I think that there's, there's something there and the trust is built in. It's like, okay, I've been watching the show for 10 years. I'm sold on Homer and Bart. You want to, you know, break out, whatever it is, Bumblebee Man. Okay, I'm in. Bumblebee Man sounds great. And like I bet that sounds great. <laughs> it's also like, you know, you mentioned the idea of the connection to the main characters, and I think that's interesting too. Like, you know, uh, Krusty or Sideshow Bob aren't as interesting without their relationship to Bart, and like Moe or Barney isn't as re- interesting without their relationship to Homer, or even yeah. like Milhouse and Lisa. Like, you know, there's 
the relationship to the central people is how you develop those characters over a period of, you know, for the Simpsons, like almost 30 years. And it's, you can't build out the world without people being interested in the central part of it in the first place. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and I mean, I completely agree with that. I'm just thinking about the turns of phrase too. Like, it's just like, when I'm hungry now, I will pound the table and say, where's my burrito? I mean, that episode came on in 1991 or something like that. It's just like for, it doesn't, it's stupid to say, where's my burrito, but it's, it's apt, you know, it's just, it applies. It's just, we don't, or you don't win friends with salad. You know, yes. there's just so many, my God, like, well, I'll, I'll be 70, 80, I'll be saying these things. And, and, and people who are younger and never watch Simpsons look at me like I'm actually ill. What are you talking about? And, and, and it's, it's funny because, it's a really neat trick because when you do that stuff, you feel like you're in the in crowd, even though a hundred million other people know what you've done in friends with salad. It's like, it's, it's, it's a meme beyond a meme beyond a meme before there were memes. Everybody knows that. And so I don't know how you do that. You know, if you go see the cool indie band or whatever, like I know about this band, if that band becomes you too, are you in on the secret anymore? Is it cool? Are you, Oh, I know all about the, this, you know, the B-side I will follow or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if it plays the same way. The Simpsons just, just turn that trick where it's, you come up to somebody and you feel like you could do the secret handshake, except that like two out of every three people in your age group probably know the secret handshake. Like that's really weird and really different. And it doesn't really apply to very many other pieces of culture. The Simpsons seems to stand out. One thing that's also interesting about this, that there's kind of this like other side to it, or I don't know if other side, but a complimentary side where it's like, one of the things I think The Simpsons does so well like overall is there's a balance of accessibility and inaccessibility in so far as, you know, the inside jokes that someone might not be on. Like if someone is a new viewer or a casual viewer, they can still find episode whatever funny. Maybe they don't get the inside jokes, but there's still enough there for them to, you know, laugh really hard. But then there are also the, you know, the diehard watchers were able to like yes they laugh at like the service stuff but then they also get you know whatever inside jokes or long running jokes uh that are also present in that episode but like no one feels left out which is the thing that like is a very hard balance to strike right and i think that goes to the writers too and i don't know i don't like a couple of comedy writers and when you talk to people like that, they're most excited about the Easter eggs. They don't want to give people the payoff. You know, if you guys watch the show from day one, they want to reward you for that. They're going to do a show that has some broad appeal because, you know, they have to collect their checks. But they'll put in some Easter egg that if you happen to watch episodes 15 and season five, there's your payoff. You know, there's the thing that's related back to the time that Ned Flanders did whatever. And you're like, oh, of course, it's the Leftorium, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think that there, there's something there, and I think that you require when you're. I guess you know I've never been a TV writer, but I would assume that you have to have some institutional knowledge. That if you were hired in season 26 to come write for The Simpsons, you sure as hell better know your season five because you have to be able to deliver those payoffs as well as provide broad-based comedy. Now, I think if you go right to be hired on The Simpsons as a writer, I'm sure is this. I got it. Can't even imagine the, the, the uh, what the paces you get put through. And I would take it as a given that all those people would be diehard fans. In fact, maybe those people were 12 years old, you know, when the season started, now they're 38. You know, okay, you're hired. Um, so I think there's something there. But yeah, you know, you, you, and that goes for anything, right? I think that if you, let's go back to music again. If you go to a show and you are watching a band and, and uh, maybe you pick them up more recently, 
you'll pick up on the current hits, but you know, the, the people who might get the most out of the show are the people that know the current hits and they can tell you about the B sides. They can tell you about this. They can tell you about that again, not to the same extent as the Simpsons. I think the Simpsons does it best, but, but when you have that kind of whatever it is, longitudinal knowledge or whatever, you can get a fuller experience. Yeah. There's also, I mean, at this point it's been on for so long that a bunch of stuff that they jokingly predicted 20 years ago yes, is actually yes. happening. Like they predicted that the moron that is president would be president. And they predicted that 20th century Fox would be sold to Disney. And they predicted like 10 million other things. And it's hard to know if they were being prescient or they were like the entire world has become a joke or if like you need to have soothsaying powers to, to write for the show. It's like it's there's so much going on there. It's not just that they predicted that Trump would be president. They predicted that he would wave to the crowd while he was going down an escalator. Oh, yeah. What the hell is that? What? How is that even possible? I literally don't understand. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't. Why aren't these people running? Not just running this show. Why aren't they president? Why aren't they running our banks or our or Google or whatever? These are obviously the smartest people that there are. How could anybody have that level of omniscience? I'm actually frightened of the people that run The Simpsons. Yes, it's incredible that the way, not just that they set the tone for humor, they literally predict the future. Now, maybe by, you know, by the laws of math, if you do 29 seasons times 22 episodes, you're going to hit on a few. But gee, I think it maybe goes beyond that. I think that they're aliens, possibly. I feel like I'd be okay with like Mike Scully being president. Oh my God! Yeah, Scully would be Scully in particular would be perfect. I love his sense of humor. Uh, I kind of want to go back to how we've talked about uh, how it's changed over the times, and I'm wondering if you think that The Simpsons kind of felt pressure to change as other animated comedies, uh, like kind of gain notoriety, like Family Guy and South Park or whatnot. Um, like, do you think that was kind of part of their? I don't know about. Downfall's not the right word because, like we're saying, it's still a good show, just not as yeah. good. But do you think there were there were those pressures there, and then they had to all of a sudden be like, "Well, Family Guy's popular now, so now we have to write a little bit more like that." Um, I don't know about that. I think that it might just be a matter of fresh material mm. that you've you've played out these characters so many times. You've introduced the secondary characters. You've introduced the tertiary characters. You know, you've got not just Flanders, but now like okay, like Lurleen Lumpkin is a character. You know, you just like you're exploring so much and then you kind of have to loop back. Now things happen in life. I mean, when the Simpsons started, we have cell phones, barely. We, you know, if you had a, if you were a very rich wall street guy, you had one in your car or whatever, that was it. We certainly didn't have the proliferation of tech. So that's an obvious one, you know, social media, it's about 10 million things that have happened between now and then in terms of culture. And so that gets picked up. But once you get away from the topical stuff, you know, maybe that's an episode one or two. You're in episode 14 of season 28, and you're like, all right, what, what are we going to do now? Sorry. Okay. Lisa is troubled because she doesn't want to play the stacks anymore. Nope, we did that. Okay. Bart uh, is an opportunist, so he's going to sell his soul. No, we did that with no house. Nope, that's something. Like, yeah, actually, you, you know, The Simpsons did it. becomes true for The Simpsons, too. Like, you just run out of things. Now, I think that restocking the writer's room can help um so there is something there but it's it's a continuity and not for nothing by the way and, and obviously these people are not the writers but the voices those are the same people those are the same people i had hank azaria on my podcast last year uh fascinating to talk to hank azaria you know he's still doing that stuff i mean he was a kid you know when he was doing mo and, and apu and all that stuff at the beginning not for nothing when he did apu nobody cared and now like there was a documentary about how offensive it is that he would do apu and that's not inconsistent with how society has changed. We do have to think about those things. So 
it, it's just it's just a long time. Three decades is a long time, and to come up with new stuff. And so I think what ends up happening is you do hit on good episodes, but to do twenty two in a row that are monsters, it's just very difficult. I mean that in the in the peak seasons of three, four, five, six, or whatever. And I'm not being a romantic. Like I actually. You know, I've owned those DVDs in the past, too, and I've gone back and watched, like, rando episodes from season four or whatever, too. You know, like, 18 out of 22 are months, really. And the other four are pretty darn good. So, I think it's just the time thing. It's just the reason that shows run their courses, because you just, that's it. You know, it's running its course. It's The Simpsons and Bonanza, basically. Everything else will come to an end sooner or later. I wonder how much of it is, you know, you brought up how much the world has changed around the show, whether it's, you know, like, the advent of cell phones or... The idea that Hank Azaria doing a poo is now like an offensive thing that we all probably should have thought was offensive when it started. But while the world has changed so much and they're still doing pumping out 22 episodes a year, whatever it is, 30 years later, the characters themselves are still in their original incarnation. Like Homer is still Homer and is the exact same age and Marge is the same age and Bart is the same age and Lisa is the same age and Maggie's the same age. I wonder if things would have been different if the characters had, you know, progressed in age or, or if the world within the show had progressed in age, because it's still sort of in like a fixed point and certain things that have happened in the past affect the storylines. But, you know, Bart would be now, what would he be like 40 something years old instead of 11? Like it's obviously such a different thing. And that also, you know, brings up more ideas that could happen. You could do shows, you could do ideas with Bart as a 25-year-old that you can't do with Bart as an 11-year-old or, or or anything like that. And it's obviously keeping them the same age has been an extraordinarily good idea. The show wouldn't still be on if it wasn't. But the idea of Simpsons did it affecting the Simpsons itself or the show dropping off in, in quality to the extent that it has maybe wouldn't have been the same if at a certain point they were like, you know what, it's 2002 and we've been doing this for, uh, you know, 15 years, whatever it is at this point. And uh, now we're going to start aging the characters. And I wonder what would have happened if that was the case. Well, we have evidence of this because the Simpsons have done some experimental episodes where they've aged the characters. Lisa becoming president comes right. to mind as one. There's a quick vignette at the end of like the Itchy and Scratchy movie where like Homer continues to punish Bart and Bart never gets to see the Itchy and Scratchy movie. And then 40 years later, they go together and, and Bart is middle-aged and Homer's old. And it's like, you know, thanks for disciplining me, Dad. Like, it's just, it, it's interesting. I don't know that it's as funny. I think that's the bottom line. It's just, do we want Maggie to deal with the angst of having a, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, can we deal with Maggie having a shitty boyfriend at 31 years old? Is that that's kind of crap? I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> oh my god, you're dating that jerk. What are you doing, Maggie? You're better than that. You know, it's just like it's it's too real. You know, we we our lives are real, and, and progressing and getting older is great. Obviously, beats the alternative, but you know, life runs into problems and stuff like that. And, and 10 and 8 are relatively innocent ages, and you know, they still encounter their own problems and all that. Uh, but I think that the beauty of the show in that way is if you really want to portray the scope of human experience, then you have Grandpa and you have Homer and you have Bart, right? And and you can go across age groups and you can just manifest whatever storyline with whatever character happens to be that particular age. So, yeah, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I just don't think it would play out as funny. Never mind that they aged each character a week per show, for example, but even if they just, like, jumped ahead a little bit, I, I just don't think it would hit. I, 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 I think it was, Jared, I think it was you who just said that, but, like, this is, this is part of the reason that it's funny is because they can keep going back to the same stuff. It is funny, but it's also a reliable show. 
So we've, we've talked about this uh, kind of a little bit about the influence um, that this show has had on so many other shows. And this will be our last question. But so I'm, I'm wondering what, what you think is whenever the show comes to an end, we have no idea when that would be. But I guess like as, as we stand right now, like what is the enduring legacy of this show? And I think it's all that's also an interesting question that we can readily ask this question of a show as it still goes on. There's a lot of them. One thing that comes to mind immediately is that <laughs> this is going to oversimplify it, but how ironic were we before 1989? Did the Simpsons invent irony? Did irony blossom with the Simpsons? Because we just, we were earnest. You know, the 80s were an earnest time. It was just, it wasn't, I don't know that we were all in on the joke. Now, if you were real smart in the 80s and you were an adult, I'm not sure that you were. It's not like people didn't understand subversive stuff or, or sarcasm or whatever, but to bring it into the culture that way was new. You know, the shows were not that before. There was Happy Days. Happy Days could be funny, but it wasn't, like, bitingly funny, and it wasn't poignantly funny, and it wasn't quite as clever. Maybe All in the Family was to some extent. I mean, I think that that's one that stands out. And if you go through the best shows of all time, I mean, even I Love Lucy to some extent will have bits and bites because it was a very good show. But The Simpsons was just swimming in it. The Simpsons was just all these disaffected 25-year-olds who went to Harvard who started making a show, and they had things to say. And I'm not... Far be it for me to say that the only smart or funny people went to Harvard, God forbid, I went to a public school in Canada, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but they just hit on that. They hit on that ability, meta humor, ironic humor, whatever it was, that wasn't there. And so maybe, you know, on the day-to-day, you and your girlfriend, you and your buddy or whatever could be that way. You could be that way to each other. But we hadn't seen it on television. We hadn't really seen it in the mainstream. And then after that, you know, it became that way all the time. You can't it's very hard, I think, to go out and pitch a comedy to Netflix or whoever and say, it's a comedy, it is sweet, and that's it. There's nothing else. It's not, we're not dealing with any issues, we're not talking about the meta, we're not, we're just like, it's sweet and cute. Like, the couple's in love, uh, oh my goodness, they baked the cake and they made a mess, and then they kissed and they make, made up. That's, that's not, that's ever, not ever going to happen on television ever again. And, uh, and I think that's a big one. You know, there, there's 30,000 other legacies, but that one jumps out to me right away. And uh, and resonance, you know, that it's just we demand more. We demand more of shows. I think we demand more of everything. You know, even if you're like a news anchor and you're literally just reading the news, or put a better example, you're a host on Sports Center. You know, it used to be that you would deliver sports, and you were the local guy in Des Moines, Iowa, and the Bulls beat the Nuggets, and that's it. That's literally it. And now it's catchphrases, and now it's this, and now it's that, and now it's. It's extra levels of, of analysis to keep people interested because they demand more than just base level humor, base level entertainment. That to me might be the enduring legacy of The Simpsons. That it's just, it's very good. Silly humor is very good or whatever, but The Simpsons was about more than that. And go across your dial. I mean, whatever it is, your, your satellite or your Netflix or Roku or Hulu or 30,000 choices, try to find a show that's only earnest. Nothing else nothing else that's really really hard to do whether it's a comedy or a drama i think the simpsons changed that forever right, jonah thank you so much uh for coming on this this has been great uh do you want to close us out with a simpsons quote let's see and there's so many you don't win friends with you know what? it's not even, it's not even <laughs> a quote it's a scenario it's a scenario that i enjoyed there was a, this had to be oh it was when um lisa and Barter playing hockey really one of my favorite episodes not just because i'm canadian and <laughs> There's a scene where they're like getting combative, like really combative, and hockey is a violent sport and all that stuff. And, 
Bart starts walking toward Lisa and says, I'm just going to go like this. And something, if I should happen to run into you, that's your problem. And he's swinging his arms like, Ehh. and Lisa is walking toward Bart and says, I'm just going to go like this. And she's just kicking. She's like, yes. And if I should happen to hit you. And I think that all fights should be that way. That even if you're <laughs> drunk, and even if you're at a bar, and even if some dude is being an ass to you, you got to do it that way. One person kicks slowly with their eyes closed, and one person rotates their fists in a windmill. Because, I, you know, the actual taking out a knife or whatever, that, that's too real. No, 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 no. All fights should be comedic in nature. I agree. Awesome. And now, uh, let's go watch Mark McGuire sock some dingers. Yes! Perfect. There you go. See, so you know you're in my zone. I like it. <laughs>